God had finished his work of creation. He'd made the grass and trees, the birds and animals, and the insects and fish. But most important of all, he'd made people, the first man Adam and the first woman Eve. Adam and Eve's job was to look after the world God had made. It was all so good and perfect. Every day God himself would come and walk and talk with Adam and Eve in a garden he'd planted for them, the Garden of Eden. And when they heard him in the garden, they'd run to be with him, and they loved to be with God and talk with him about all they were doing. Everything was perfect. Everything was just the way it was supposed to be. But it wasn't going to last. In the Garden of Eden, God had planted a tree called the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. And he told Adam and Eve that they were free to eat the fruit from any tree in the garden except the fruit from that tree. They were not to eat its fruit because, if they did, on that day they would die. This seemed strange to them. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was fine to look at and its fruit as good as any other, and yet they were forbidden to even try it. And anyway, what was death? Adam and his wife couldn't really understand properly, because there was no death in the world. They just knew it wasn't what God wanted, and so they left it alone. If God had said not to touch it, he must have a good reason. They may not understand, but surely they could trust God. God had put that tree in the garden because he wanted to know if the man and the woman really loved him. If they obeyed him by not eating the forbidden fruit, then he'd know that they did love him. But this was no game. It was a real choice with real consequences if they chose to disobey. Now, into the Garden of Eden, where the man and the woman were living and working, came an enemy of God. And disguising himself as a snake, he hid by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whose fruit Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat. The enemy of God hated God and wanted to destroy all the good works he'd done. He wanted to spoil God's perfect creation, and he had planned just how to do it. God knew what the enemy wanted to do but he didn't stop him being near the tree. He didn't even stop the enemy from talking to the man and the woman because he wanted them to love him. And they could only really show that they did love him by choosing to obey his simple command and not eat the fruit, no matter what anybody said to them. All heaven waited to see what the man and the woman would do. One day, as they worked in the garden, Adam and Eve came to the place where the enemy, disguised as a snake, was waiting. Talking to the woman, the crafty snake asked a question that started to twist what God had told them. Tell me, he said, did God really say that you aren't allowed to eat any of the fruits in the garden? Of course we can eat it, replied the woman. Then she pointed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's only the fruit from that tree we aren't allowed to eat. God said we shouldn't eat it or even touch it, or else we'll die. You won't die, lied the snake, denying outright that there'd be any consequence if they disobeyed God. God said you weren't allowed to eat that fruit, because he knows that when you do, you will be able to understand everything and become as wise and as powerful as he is. This put everything in a new light. If this were true, then... Then God was trying to hold them back, keep them in their place. They weren't servants, they were slaves doing his bidding. And if that were true, then they needed to free themselves to reach their full potential. 
The woman looked up at the glistening fruit hanging temptingly on the tree and saw how ripe it looked and thought how good it must be to eat. And as she stared at it, not thinking any more about who God was and how they loved being with him, her mind raced on. Why had God stopped them eating this fruit? Maybe he was holding something back from them, that he didn't have their best interests at heart at all, but was keeping them under his thumb when they could be his equal. As these thoughts flooded her mind, an irresistible longing welled up inside her. Almost without noticing, she was touching the fruit. Then she decided she wanted to be God's equal. She wanted wisdom and power, and she was going to take it. A quick fix to outsmart God. The fruit pulled easily from the branch. She lifted it to her mouth and deliberately bit deeply into the ripe flesh. And then, wiping her mouth with the back of her hand, a cold, triumphant look on her face, she walked over to where her husband, Adam, had been watching. Why hadn't he stopped her? Why hadn't he just taken her by the hand and led her away, or reminded her of what God had told them? But now it was too late for the woman. There she stood before him, with an expression on her face he'd never seen before. In her hand she held the fruit, and her lips were stained with the juices. Adam watched, wide-eyed as she raised her hand to him, offering him the remainder of the stolen fruit, telling him to take and eat. Take and eat the stolen fruit, an invitation that heralded the arrival of death and all the pain and misery that would come with it. But also, strangely, the same words, take and eat, that would one day be spoken by another, by Jesus, to offer an altogether better invitation, not to share in stolen fruit and die, but to share in him and live. The desire to be like God had taken root in Adam's mind. Did God really have his best interests at heart? Why had God told him not to eat this fruit? What was God trying to hide from him? The moment the man and the woman started questioning God's love and care was the moment of defeat. Instead of trusting him, they sat in judgment of him, suspicious of his motives, even though he'd never shown them anything but wonderful and gracious love. If only the man had said no as Eve offered him the fruit. If only he'd been stronger. If only he'd trusted what God had told him and, and just ran away. But like a fool, he took the ripe fruit from the woman's hand and without hesitation took a large bite, all the while dreaming of how he too might become wise and powerful, majestic and mighty like God himself. At that very moment, their minds and their hearts were changed. Up until then, everything had been simple, but now things were somehow different. The enemy, disguised as a snake, was laughing at them. How easy it had been to trick them. And now they'd no longer be God's friends, but the enemy's slaves. And suddenly, everything seemed complicated, as a new feeling overwhelmed them. Something they'd never felt before pulled them down, making them feel uncomfortable in front of each other, as shame, the appropriate response to guilt, filled their minds. Where once there'd been innocence, joy and freedom, now shame became their lifelong companion and covering. And they saw they were naked. It hadn't bothered them before, because they were right with God and right with each other. But all that had changed. From this moment on, the peace and joy of pure relationships would be spoilt and damaged by guilt, fear and shame. And now that they knew they were naked and felt uncomfortable in front of each other, 
What were they going to do about meeting with God? How could they possibly face God naked? So, in panic, they found some leaves and tried to make something to cover themselves with. But before they'd managed it, and to their horror, they heard God walking in the garden. So, in their fear and confusion, Adam and Eve hid themselves amongst the trees of the garden, unwilling to go near the one they'd always previously longed to be with. Instead of running to greet him at the sound of his voice, they ran away in their shame and hid. Oh, how things had changed. So God called out to the man and woman, Where are you? He knew where they were. He knew what they'd done. But he asked all the same. Why? Because he wanted the man and the woman to acknowledge and confess their sin. As the only way they could continue a relationship with God now would be because of God's mercy. The man called back, I I heard you in the garden and, and, well, I'm naked. I can't come to you like this. It feels wrong and you might be angry with me. Who told you you were naked? asked God. Have you eaten the fruit from the tree I told you not to eat from? Again, another attempt by God to get them to acknowledge their sin, because God still loved them and still wanted a relationship with them, even after their rebellion against him. Yes, I have eaten the fruit, admitted the man as they slowly came out of their hiding places. But it wasn't really my fault, he lied, grasping at excuses rather than being honest about his failure. It was that woman's fault, you know, the one you made for me. She gave the fruit to me, he said, pointing at the woman, but actually, with his words, blaming God. God looked at the woman. What have you done? he asked, trying to get her to acknowledge her sin and plead for his mercy. Like the man, caught red-handed, she couldn't really deny her guilt, but it didn't stop her looking to shift the blame elsewhere. It's not really my fault, she lied. The snake tricked me into eating it. Adam and Eve regretted that day for the rest of their lives, wishing they'd listened to God and never disobeyed him. But it was too late. And the cost of their disobedience was far greater than they could have imagined. Before, they may not have understood what death was, but in a sense, that was the point. That even though they couldn't understand what death was, they could trust God. That he knew what was best for them. But in his love, God had allowed them to make a real choice. A real choice with real consequences, and they had chosen. Chosen not to trust God, but to disobey him. With the consequence, as God had warned, that death had come into the world. Death, firstly seen in the death of that intimate relationship with God that had made everything good. Then secondly seen in the death of their bodies, as now their lives would end and their bodies would return to dust. And thirdly seen in the possibility of eternal separation from God, for having rejected him, if they wouldn't respond to him as he reached out to them in his mercy, then they would stay separated from him forever. The cost was beyond their wildest imagination, and all because they hadn't believed God really loved them and always wanted them to have his best, so that when he said no, he said it to save them and not to harm them, to give them a future and a hope. So what was the point in continuing? Why didn't God just end it all then? His own creation had chosen to reject him. But even before he'd made the world, He'd known that Adam and Eve would disobey him, but he still loved them. That's why he called out to them instead of destroying them. And he was already working on his own plan, a plan made before the world had begun, 
that one day he would destroy the power of the enemy, death itself, and restore what was broken through his own son, Jesus, the one who would speak those costly words, take and eat, this is my body given for you.